Good morning. It's fun to see a mostly full house. We haven't been able to gather as a church in California for four months now. We did a little something last week at a park, but um, because we meet in a public school in California, we probably won't be meeting inside anytime soon, possibly after Christmas. So it's good, uh, good to see this. But what a great song to finish with because these are pretty interesting days. We've got this whole COVID thing happening and then the politics around it, the finances around it. And then on top of that, in these recent weeks, the protests. So not exactly sure why, but they chose our suburb of San Diego to be the epicenter of the protests in San Diego. And so about five minutes from our house, they burned down two of our banks and an engineering firm. So those were some interesting days um, in San Diego as the um, protests were, were happening. And we'll see, we'll see where that continues to go in the weeks you know, in the weeks and months to come. But as we were singing that, I was thinking, despite COVID, despite the politics, despite the protests, the Bible tells us Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. So let's remember that today, whatever you're feeling, even personally, locally here in central Illinois, he's the same yesterday, today, forever. He's not changing the end goal's not changing. How it affects you ultimately isn't changing. So don't let it affect your daily life, um, how you live your life, how you love Jesus, how you love people around you. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning in Luke 5. Um, so I'm going to have Doug read Luke 5, 1 to 11. If you want to follow, yeah, it's going to be up there. And then 27 to 32. And as he reads this, and as I talk for the next two hours, um, put yourself there. Okay? That's what the Bible was written for. It's not a history book. This isn't something that just happened 2,000 years ago with these guys. This is for you and me and all of us today. The things he says here, the things Jesus says, the expectations that he sets here are for us. So as these things are playing out in Luke 5, put yourself there. That's the point. Put yourself there. Okay? And these are just normal guys. The stuff that is going to be happening in this chapter, these are just normal Men living in a very, actually probably small town place. This wasn't like big urban area. This is like small town guys in a small town place living a small town life as fishermen and um, just doing normal jobs, normal people. Okay? That's us. Okay? So it should be easy to relate here. Okay? But listen closely because um, Jesus says some pretty big He sets some pretty big expectations here, which have significant implications for our daily lives. Okay, listen. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them there and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. 
So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up left everything and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests were also, also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call on those who think, who not who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Thank you. Okay, so what do we see here in these verses? I wish I had a few weeks to unpack this because there's so much good stuff. This chapter specifically has probably become my favorite this past year. Um, there's so much here, so much we could talk about. But I'm going to highlight what I believe are three significant calls. And don't, don't lose the idea of a call. Calling is weighty. Calling isn't a suggestion. Okay? I believe these are calls on our life. They are expectations. They are not suggestions. So when I say that, don't blow past the word call. I believe these are three calls on our life. Okay, the first one there, um, the first call that we see is that Jesus is calling these men into intimate relationship with him. If you, underst if you understood the, the context, they understood a little bit who he was because we see them use the word master and Lord. Isn't that interesting? They don't call him Jesus. They don't call him something else. Hey, teacher guy. They call him Master and Lord. So they know something special is going on with this guy, but obviously we know from the rest of the story, they don't know much. But they know enough that when he says, lay down your nets to follow me, they do it. It's crazy. This isn't lay down your nets and come follow me for a few hours, a few hours a week, and then Go back to the things you like to do. This is give me everything. Give me all of your life. That was the understanding here. And so they are ready to do it. So they're not only, when, they, when it says they're laying down their nets, they're laying down everything, their whole life. Family, job, 
Just everything to follow him, okay? So that's a big call. And that's a big call for us to consider. Is that when we look at our lives, are we submitted in that way? Are we seeing life in that way? That everything is his, that he is meant to be the center, literally, of every little part of our lives. Not just Sunday, not just your devotional time, literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he's meant to be at the center, leading it, helping you, you doing everything with him and for him, for his purposes and for his glory. So you see how this should This first call should affect everything as we go about our days. As you go to work, wherever you work, these guys are fishermen, probably some other jobs, Jesus is at the center of your job. Whether you like your job, don't like your job, doesn't matter, Jesus is at the center of your job. If you go to school, you may not like school, may love school, doesn't matter, Jesus is at the center. English class, math class, all those fun classes, Jesus at the center. Your time, how you spend your weekends, how you spend your evenings, Jesus at the center. Asking the question, how does Jesus want me to steward this? Because that's the point here. Jesus is calling these men and calling us to consider daily, how do we steward all of this, all that we have in our jobs our money, our kids, our time, our hobbies. How do we steward all of this for him? For his purposes. For his glory. But the point being, let's be clear, for him. Not for us. Not for our kids. Not for anybody else or anything else, but for him. Okay? So the call, first call, is him calling these men and him calling us into this intimate relationship, daily relationship with him at the center, where we're asking day to day, literally day to day, Jesus, how do you want me to steward this day? How should I invest this day? What do you want me to do at work today? Yeah, I got to get a job done, but who do you want me to love today, serve today, talk to today? I'm going shopping who do you want me to, is there anybody you want me to help serve, influence there? Walking the dog in the neighborhood, taking the kids to Little League, going here, going there. Jesus, how do you want me to steward and invest what you've given me for you, for your purposes, for your glory? Okay, so that's this first first big call. And so no matter how you would answer that question and there's a, you know, that's, that's part of what it means to grow to become like Christ. We're on a journey towards becoming more faithful in all of that. So don't get, your, don't get down right now and say, I'm not doing that very well. I'm not doing that very well at school. I'm not doing that very well at work. That's not the point. The point is saying, how can I, how can I do better with his help the next day? So whether you feel like you're at square one or square five or whatever square, it doesn't matter. The question is that Jesus always wants you to ask is, what's the next growth step for you? Again, at work, at school, with your family, with your friends, with your time, with your money, what's the next step 
of greater faithfulness and greater intimacy with him. Okay? And it's not something we muster up ourselves. It's not just work harder, try harder. The whole reason Jesus, when Jesus left and he left his Holy Spirit in us, he said, I'm leaving you a helper to help you do this. If you're going to become like me in all of life, you're not going to do it by yourself. You're not going to do it in your own strength. You're only going to do it with the help of my helper. That's the point in the Holy Spirit, is that he daily is helping us take those next steps. And the idea is we're taking little steps each day, little steps of growth, little steps of faithfulness each day in becoming um, more intimately in relationship with him and more faithful in loving and serving um, and influencing people people around us. Okay? So this is, requires greater and greater reliance on Him. So obviously it means being in a regular rhythm of meditating on His Word. A regular rhythm of not just praying prayers at Him, but actually spending more time listening, listening prayer, where you're listening to Him and what he wants you to do next. If you're like me, our tendency is often to pray like to him. Say a lot and then get on with life. Okay? We've got our list, our prayer list, our prayer request. Those are good things. Those are important things because that's what a relationship looks like. It goes both ways. But I've found that myself and I think a lot of people struggle with the other part of it is saying, then stop and listen. And actually spend more time listening than you did speaking. So stop and listen. Get quiet. That means you're going to have to turn off your phones a lot. You're going to have to turn off the noise in your life a lot. You're going to have to find quiet places. For me, that means I go on a lot of long walks in San Diego. That's one of the best ways for me to pray and listen. I'm outside. Um, there's no kid noise. There's no other noise. It's just me walking, a little bit of praying, or a little bit of me verbalizing, and then a lot of me listening. But we've got to be in a rhythm of that. If we are not in a rhythm of that, how are we going to know what Jesus wants us to do? How, how are we going to know what he wants us to do at work, at school, with our families, in the neighborhood? We're not. If we're not listening. If we're not asking and listening. Okay? So I want to encourage you, um, in this growing intimacy with him, you're not going to do it alone. You need his help. And we get that help by asking but being good listeners in a regular rhythm. Okay? So that's the first call. Um, Interesting thing you probably didn't catch, as you get a few verses into that chapter 5, it uses the word they. It says that they followed him. I've read that a hundred times, never thought about it. Just said, he said this, they did that, they followed him. Right? You just kind of move past it. But then I realized, like, that is a big word. They followed him. 
And what I realized was that is the second call, is that following Jesus is not an individual pursuit. It's a they pursuit. It means you're not supposed to be following Jesus individually. You're not even supposed to be, I believe, following Jesus like just with your nuclear blood family. The they means you're supposed to be following Jesus together with a community of people. And why is that? Because we need each other to learn from each other, shape each other, help each other grow. And then when I caught that word they, I realized that's really what we see play out then in the rest of the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. This was not a bunch of individuals or even a bunch of individual families following Jesus. It's really a story of communities. Communities of people that were helping each other faithfully follow Jesus. So that's a big call for you guys. I know there's a lot of blood family here in Tremont. There's a lot of big families, and it's good. It's not bad. Don't hear that. But Jesus is saying here there's a lot more. You're supposed to be following him closely together with others who also live with you like family. Yes, you have your nuclear family that has your name, the Cooks, the Stubers, the Souders, all those names. But your bigger, actually more important family is the family of God. That actually trumps the Souder name or the Cook name or the Rumbled name is Jesus' name. Jesus' name trumps your family name. You are part of a bigger family, and so even in small-town Tremont or central Illinois, you, this design that Jesus has on this life of following him is meant to be with others in community that looks like family. So I think you need to wrestle with that. I know you do some 242 groups or, you know, some type of groups around here, but um, I believe what we're seeing Jesus say here is that it's not just a good thing, it's an essential thing. It's not just a suggestion, it's actually an expectation. So you're going to have to wrestle with that this week. Some of you probably aren't in groups like that. And I'll be the bad guy and tell you from the stage, I believe you need to. <laughs> not just because you need it and it's good for you, it's part of Jesus' design and it's part of his call on your life. And again, you might ask, why? Why do we need that? Yeah, it's a good thing, but how is it essential? Again, well, he saw it as essential because he called the disciples again to follow him, not as individuals, but as a community. And then again, that's what they did. It was a community that was loving and generous and sharing and hospitable and, and sacrificing because they needed to learn all those things, just like we do. You may think, well, our family's pretty generous and pretty sharing, and um, we practice good hospitality. Maybe, somewhat, but you, there are ways you need to grow in that. There are ways I need to grow in that. We're going to need to keep growing in that till the end, till the end of our lives. And that's why we need others. So in San Diego right now, Hannah's parents live there. Hannah's sister lives there. We spend time with them, their blood family, we spend quite a bit of time with them. 
But we need much more than them. We need to be living a lot of life with other people that think a little differently than us, whose lifestyles are a little different than us, who don't have five kids, maybe have one kid. Because in all of that, there's learning. In all of that, it helps us grow. That's why we need community around us that functions like family, okay? Not a meeting, not an event that you go to, but a group of people that are committed to each other like family. So we have that in San Diego. Right now, we've got one of our, we call them gospel communities, we've got one of them that's um, watering our garden right now. And it was easy, his name's Ramiro. It was easy to ask Ramiro to do that. And he, he loved being asked. Why? Because we roll like family. We function like family. Whatever we need at any point, we're often asking each other, can you help with that? Or can you be part of that? So whether it's birthdays or Christmas or help with this project or babysitting or um, his wife's pregnant right now um, and she's quite sick with her second pregnancy. And so we're asking, like, how do we, how do we help? Not because we have to, not because it's a project, not because it's an event, because Ramiro and Amanda are family. They're family. And we've got others in our gospel community that live in that same way. So, but hear that, that's not just a big city thing, okay? I work with churches all over the world that are living this way, big cities, small towns, richer, poorer, blacker, whiter. And so why is that? Because Jesus has called us not only into life with him at the center, but life with him at the center with others that have him at the center so that they together can become more faithful Christ followers. So here again, we need each other. If you're going to grow to become a more faithful Christ follower, you need others regularly, deeply in your life that know your life, that know your fears, that know your doubts, that know your struggles, that know your joys, that know your favorite things to do and eat and drink. And you need people like that in your life who in the harder times or the, yeah, the challenging times will encourage you and will speak gospel to you. Speak truth to you when you have doubts about your job. Speak truth to you when something's going on in your marriage. We'll see how you're maybe... Um, talking to your wife or your kids or a neighbor and say, hmm, what was going on there? That was a little harsh. That was a little sharp. That didn't seem like it was filled with grace. So do you see how we need that all the time? We need people like that that know our lives like that, see our lives like that. But it's not going to happen if you're not spending enough time with those kinds of people. Because you can look good for a couple hours once a week. You look great right now. You look great. You smell great. You got a smile on your face. It's easy. 
for two hours on a Sunday. But how about when your boss tomorrow criticizes the job you just did? Who's going to find out about that? When you respond to him, when you yell back at him, when you criticize another coworker or classmate, fellow student, somebody on the basketball team, say something about your coach behind his back, gossip, who's going to know that, see that, and speak truth to you to say, not the Jesus way? How you just responded to your boss, not the Jesus way. How you just responded to your spouse, your kids, not the Jesus way. To your coach, not the Jesus way. That's the point. Community of people that are regularly, deeply in our lives to be able to speak truth and to be able to encourage us. This Ramiro that I told you about that's part of my gospel community, he's had a hard life. Very broken growing up, hard life. He's got a lot of physical stuff going on. He served two tours in Iraq, and he flew a lot in a helicopter, and he's got a bad back because of it. Well, it's very, it's, um, it's very discouraging for him. It's brought on some mild depression. He needs our community speaking truth to him, encouraging him, breathing life, breathing Jesus into his life. He needs it. I need it. You need it. We all need it. And again, that's Jesus' design for our lives is that we have it. Okay? First call, Jesus at the center. Second call, we do it together. We follow Jesus together as a community, as a family. Third call. I love, you get to verse 10 in this passage, and this is big, everybody, and this is for you. So, every one of you, young, old, doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, this is for you and will be for you for the rest of your life. He says to these guys, I want you to follow me, with me at the center, in this community of followers, but we're not just going to walk around kind of aimlessly. There's a clear purpose to this. Verse 10, you, and he's saying it to them and to us, you, the goal of this is for you to become, to give your life to being a fisher of men. That's your big life purpose right there. At work, at school, in the neighborhood, in your sports, at Little League, whatever things you do, however you spend your time, you are meant to be a fisher of men. You are meant to bring the influence of Jesus everywhere you go. In every relationship, everywhere you go, you are meant to be a fisher of men. So he says that to these guys here. Guys, you are no longer going to fish for fish, though they still did some of that later on. But you are now going to fish for men. That is what this is all about. And then what's so beautiful about this passage and the rest of this chapter is that they immediately start doing it. They didn't wait. It seems like they might have waited a few hours. But they literally, in the next verses, verses 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, they start fishing for people. With Jesus at the center, as a community, they start going village to village, fishing for people, proclaiming the kingdom, healing, feeding, doing all those things to love and serve people. 
Um, and so they immediately get after it. It didn't take a six-month class. They didn't have to go to Bible school. It didn't require any of that. It required Jesus at the center, and it required them doing it together. So that should be encouraging for us too. We're not meant to be fish. We're not meant to be solo fishermen. We're not meant to influence our neighbors, our boss, our teachers, our coaches, our coworkers. We're not meant to influence them alone. We get to. He wants us to do it together. Do it together like a family that helps each other, encourage each other to do that. So you may have a non-Christian neighbor you're thinking about as I talk about these things, non-Christian friend, non-Christian coach, non-Christian teacher, wherever the relationship is at, and you want to see them come to know Jesus. Well, let me tell you, you can't do it alone. Very few cases (laughs) will that happen alone. Because as amazing as you are, you're limited. I'm limited. You're limited in your ability to love, in your ability to communicate the gospel clearly. You are limited. I'm limited. We're all limited. That's the point. We're supposed to do it together. We're supposed to help each other. So if you want to see your neighbor, your boss, another coworker come to know Jesus, you need to surround them with some other Christ followers who are going to help you love them well, going to help you serve them well, help you have conversations with them. There's actually some research that was done that actually proves this. And anecdotally, I found it true. It was true in my life. It's probably true if you were to think about your testimony. It says the average non-Christian will need to become friends with 5.3 Christians before they become a Christian. Isn't that interesting? What's in that stat? You get the point there? The average non-Christian will need to become friends with 5.3 Christians as part of their journey to Christ. Point being, it's, it's we fish together. We need each other. You need a community around you, with you, helping you love people well, serve them well, talk to them well. You can't do it alone. So if you want to see the lives of people change around you, don't try to do it alone. Do it together, help each other, pray for them together. Together, together, together. Again, it's Jesus' design. He said, he said, followers of me, I've got to be at the center of your life. And then again, we do it as communities with me at the center. And then we go fishing. And we go out. And I was fishing the other day outside his barn, and I'm not a good fisherman, which kind of proved itself the other day. But it was a cool connection that he wants us to fish. He determines the catch. He determines the timing of the catch. He determines the scale of the catch. So basically, I was out there fishing for an hour. I don't know how many times I cast. A lot. Not a bite. But in Jesus' terms, as we're fishing for people, 
he, that's what he desires. That would be pleasing to him, is that as we go to work, we're casting. As we live in our neighborhood, we're casting. As we drop the kids off at school, we're casting. We go show up at that little league game, soccer game, swim meet, we're casting. We're casting, we're casting, we're casting, and we're casting again together, not alone. So you're with a community that's casting together, but he, he determines the catch. He wants us as we go together to faithfully love, faithfully pursue people, pursue their story, get to know them so that they trust you. And that's what makes all the difference. When I say casting, that's what I'm talking about. That you are loving your classmates, your teachers, your neighbors, your coworkers. You're loving them so well on a regular basis that they consider you their friends. And let me, it's not what you think about them. If I were to ask you, like, are those classmates your friends? It doesn't matter how you feel about them. It matters how they feel about you. Does that make sense? Because they, if they do not trust you, they are not likely to listen to you. And therefore are not likely to be influenced by you. That usually happens in the context of trusted friendship. So again, how do we do that as we go to work and school and live in the neighborhood and go to the park and the pool and those places? How do we do that? Well, again, we get around lost people. That's what I had, I had Doug read verses 27 to 32. The Pharisees hated this because this was so against their religious scheme. So verses 27 to 32, wow, it's such a... I love it because Jesus is making it clear again, but now with the Pharisees listening, with the religious people listening, he's making it clear once again why he came, once again what he expects for his disciples. What's he say there in verses 30, 31, and 32? Who have I come for? It's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. So he's telling the Pharisees, and this is such a cool interaction because Jesus is here at the center. The Pharisees are talking to him, and the disciples are right there listening too. And remember, they're baby Christians at this point. I'm not even sure they're Christians at this point. They're following him with some ideas, okay, at this point. So they're watching this interaction, and Jesus is, interf- is reinforcing one more time for them, guys, we are about healing sick people. That could be physically sick, emotionally sick, relationally sick, spiritually sick, and there's plenty of those people all around central Illinois. Emotionally, relationally, spiritually, physically Sick people. So that's what Jesus is saying there in verse 31, in 30, 31, 32. Guys, one more time, let's be clear. This is what life following me is about. It's not about a few hours a week. It's about dropping your nets, giving me all of your life. It's not about you following me as an individual, having this little private 
thing with me. It's about us doing it as a community, as family. And then it has this big purpose. We're going to fish for sick people, broken people, lost people that need my healing. So as you hear that, I want you to consider, okay, and again, I said there's probably a whole range of where you land in all of this, and that's okay. That's okay. We're all on a journey, okay? The end of the journey is clear, okay? But wherever you're at, the question is what's next? What's next for you in making, in putting Jesus more at the center of more of your life? That's one. Two, what's next in terms of you living with other Christians here in central Illinois that are not your blood family, that are part of Jesus' family, but are living as a community, living like, living in with a group of people that considers each other family. Frees up time for each other like family. Shares money and resources like family. Helps when, yeah, stuff's going on in marriages and with kids and at work like family. So again, that's the second question for each of you. Second call. What's next in terms of you? Maybe you're, maybe you're not in a group that's anything close to that. Figure it out this next month. Maybe you're in a group that meets occasionally, but definitely you would not describe it as family. Okay? This next month, figure it out. How do we grow deeper as a family? A group that functions like a family. Spends more time, knows each other deeper, helps each other more, so that we can be this strong family that goes fishing to catch a lot of fish. So third question then. First question was, Jesus at the center. Second question was, you with a community of Jesus family with you. Third one being, how are you fishing? Do you even consider yourself a fisherman? Some of you younger ones may think, yeah, that's something I'll do when I get to college. Or that's something I'll do when I get out of college. Or that's something, no. I was a youth pastor for a lot of years. You're fishermen now. You're fishermen now. You've got non-Christian classmates around you now. Start praying for them now. Start looking for ways to love them now. Start now. You are a fisherman because you're a follower of Jesus now. But for the older ones, doesn't matter how old you are, 20s, 30s, 60s, 80s, you're fishermen. And Jesus has given you gifts and personality and abilities to fish in whatever fishing hole he wants to send you to. We've, we've got this older friend um, back in Tacoma, and um, I don't know, they're in their 80s, 80s now. They regularly, as a rhythm, walk their neighborhood and pray by name for neighbors. And all those neighbors, because they're retired, are actually available most days, most of the day. So it's like, wow, that's good fishing. 
good fishing right there. And so they not only walk the neighborhood every day and pray by name for those neighbors, but then they host simple little things, little dessert, little meal, little, little something to get those neighbors into their home or meet at a park or wherever they need to meet. But they're doing that in their 80s. It's beautiful because they see themselves as fishermen. So whether you're 10 here today, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, doesn't matter what stage of life, you are fishermen. And so the question becomes, how can you fish more often? And like I said, fish more effectively, not trying to do it alone. It's part of the problem, I think, a lot of times Christians are discouraged from being with non-Christians or talking with non-Christians because they feel like they have to do it alone wasn't designed that way. We're not supposed to fish alone. We're supposed to fish together with a team of fishermen, with a family of fishermen. So start thinking about your neighborhood differently, your workplace differently, your kids' sports teams differently, your hobbies and the things you like to do differently, and saying, how could we fish there more consistently and do it consistently Together, not alone. Okay? Three big things for you to consider. Again, hopefully you're feeling a little weight. I want you to. It's a good thing. But the weightiness of this comes from Jesus. He's calling you to these things. Not Todd, not Northfield, not anybody else. Jesus is calling you to these things. So feel the weightiness of it while at the same time really realizing there's no pressure and that he's with you and he's available to help you with every little detail. It's not just, okay, get to work, guys. No, it's actually go to prayer, guys. Start listening more to what he wants you to do personally, in community, and as fishermen, you've got a helper he's given you to help you with these things. Ask for help. Pray. Pray alone sometimes. Go for long walks, bike rides, get out on a fishing boat, pray and listen. Do that too. But also as a community, pray together. Pray for neighbors. Pray for coworkers. Pray for each other to have boldness, courage, ideas, about how to love well. So pray as a community also. Okay? Let me pray these things for all of us. Father, thank you um, for your love for us today. We are your sons and daughters. So there is no pressure in any way to perform for you. You've done everything for us. You love us as much as you'll ever love us right now. So help us to rest in that, to sit in that um, goodness that we are your loved sons and daughters this morning. But I pray that you would help us again with these questions of what's next. 
What's next in having Jesus at the center of everything? What's next in living life with a community of people around us so that we can learn and grow and encourage, help each other, be more faithful? And what's next in terms of us fishing? Give us eyes to see the fish, to see the lost, to see the sick, to see the sad, to see the depressed, the discouraged, the lonely. Give us eyes to see those people. Give us a heart that breaks for those people. Give us courage to move towards those people. And help us remember that we're not supposed to do it alone. We're not supposed to be individual missionaries. We're supposed to be a family of missionaries. So I pray that you would help this church figure it out, scattered throughout um, Tremont and around the area. The people sitting here in this room act, interact with probably hundreds of non-Christians every week. There's lots of fish around. So Father, I pray that you would help this church become more effective at fishing together. And Father, thank you that you have invited us to do that. You've given our lives such great purpose. It's not about making money. It's not about having fun. You've given our lives such great purpose that's eternal, it's forever. To bring hope, to bring healing to sick people. So thank you that you've invited us into that and thank you that you are there to help us with every little detail of it. But help us to become people that pray and not just pray words at you, but help us to become people that pray and listen, that quiet ourselves, that quiet our hearts, that listen to you. So we need your help with all these things, Father. I pray that you'd send us out here today as courageous fishermen. So we love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.